we all are on a journey, every one of us. And I believe that God really designed us to be moving on, not to be static. I don't think God likes static. Have you ever got out of your car on a dry day and you touch the uh, door and boom, there's a spark? You can see that spark if it's dark at night. I hate that. Well, anyway, static. We are not static. We have real power, surging power that God has given us. Every one of us, every human being born has that life breath in them. When you think of your neighbors or your friends or your relatives who don't know Jesus Christ, they already have a start toward life. They just don't know it. And they need to know where that life breath comes from. And what a wonderful gift to them to be able to encourage them about life. Yes, life is hard. And, you know, those parents that we all have, those original parents, why did they get us into this? I'm talking about Adam and Eve, not your mom and dad. Okay. But if they hadn't, someone else of us would have gotten us into this mess. And what an incredible design that God had in mind because he knows the beginning to the end. That's the kind of God that we worship. And Jesus came and showed us who? The Father. The Father. Our Father. Yes, we honor, in fact, this month, we honor our fathers. But our true Father, our real Father, is the same Father of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And He is our elder brother. And He has brought us home to the Father. If we have gotten to know Him, that's the first thing He does in our lives is to bring us to the Father. We're doing the book of Hebrews, and I think we're moving forward. I trust we are, because we're just almost at the end, and we got stalled a little bit. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, when I last spoke on Hebrews, we only got to the introduction. So we're going to continue from where we left off. And yes, I'll read that passage once again. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, but you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And we'll put daughters in there as well. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges 
each son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. What we're doing in Hebrews, as for some of you who haven't been here to hear this, we're looking at Hebrews and it tells us to look to Jesus. That is our focus. That is the whole focus and purpose of the book of Hebrews. It is, I believe, a compilation of sermons by an author that we don't really know. We don't know his name. We can surmise, we can think we know, but there's no name given for who the writer is. But he certainly knew the scriptures. He certainly was apologetic, meaning... He knew how to put together sermons. And some people think that this book is actually a compilation of his sermons because he repeats and repeats and he moves forward, repeats and moves forward, repeats and moves forward. I tried to do that last time, right? And that's what I'm doing right now. Repeat, back up a little bit, and then go forward. So... It's kind of rubbing off on me. I hope I'll be able to get through this sermon now. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Jesus, when he came, took upon himself that assignment from the Father. To live as a human being without sin, but to walk in the steps and the strength and the relationship with the Father so that he could fulfill the full fulfillment of the law. Every iota, every jot and tittle. Well, you probably don't know what a jot and a tittle are. But anyway, God has given us very particular instructions in, I think, the Gospel of Hebrews for us to learn how to walk as believers in Christ Jesus. And he has experienced it. He has gone ahead of us. And so by his power and our relationship with him, we also can live a successful Christian life so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I talked about last time about what is happening among the Japanese church right now. There are a lot of people who are growing 
weary and losing heart of following Jesus Christ here in this land. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters. We need to reach out to them. We need to encourage them that they not lose heart, that they not grow weary. This is the easiest country to live in and the worst place to be a Christian. Everything is geared against our being successful as Christians in this society. And I'm not criticizing Japan. I love Japan. And you do too. But our walk here needs to be very, very close to Jesus if we are going to succeed in this nation. Lift up your Japanese brothers and sisters. If you are Japanese yourself, God give you power to stand and to be stalwart for Jesus' sake and for the kingdom. We pray for you. We thank God for your example. And we know that many of you suffer more than we've ever suffered. I'm talking about we as the guy gene, okay? And we honor you. We should have a Japanese day in the Christian calendar to thank God for his grace poured out in your lives. You have not yet resisted, he says in verses 4 to 6, to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. We haven't been asked to climb up on the cross or to be grabbed and put on a cross. At least none of us here and probably we will not ever experience that. We haven't really resisted yet. And what is there to resist? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three enemies that we have. And that is not just here in Japan. That is worldwide. The world, the flesh. Whose flesh? My flesh. Your flesh. That wars against the Spirit of God. It resists. And he's saying, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood in your striving against sin. We have yet to go. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't grow faint. Push back, not in your own strength, but in the strength that Jesus Christ gives you to live the Christian life. I've told you this many times. The Christian life, to live the Christian life, is absolutely impossible. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Well, I'm trying, I'm trying. I, I want to be a good Christian. I'm, I, I'm working hard. I'm, I'm doing my homework. I'm, doing, I, I'm taking baby steps. No, that's not the way to live the Christian life. The way to live the Christian life is by turning it all over to the one who succeeded in living the Christian life. That was Jesus Christ, our older brother, who did that. And we follow in his steps. He is our model. He's more than our model. He is our inspiration and he is our power. 
And in that strength, we can live what is dished out to us. That is an assurance that we have as we have given our life over to him and to his lordship over us. He's given us his Holy Spirit in us to remind us. And that still small voice that I believe every Christian has, you need to listen to that still small voice in your spirit. When you have erred or when you are going off the path, and let the word of God then sink into your heart and be the power and the strength to say, I'm not going this side road. I'm staying on the straight and narrow path. And that's in our daily lives that that happens. As we've talked about in Hebrews, this is a marathon that we're in. Marathons are incredible races. The Christian life is a marathon. Okay, are you in a marathon? Are you in a marathon? We are in a marathon. And it never ends until we get to the end. Our marathon is for a lifetime. Can you imagine that? Get your head around that. This is a marathon. When you committed your life to Jesus Christ, it was for life. And he is there at the end to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. That is what the Christian life is about. But the Hebrews writer says, you have not yet resisted and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. We're going to talk about sonship. And it's not just, as I've mentioned before, this isn't just for sons. It is also for daughters. Don't feel left out. So when you see sons, daughters, think daughters as well. And just put it in parentheses. Okay? Bless you, daughters, who are running the race as well. And he pulls out, the author of Hebrews pulls out Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. The discipline of the Lord is different than the discipline of our parents. I'm thankful for that. I didn't have a very good natural father. But God gave me at the age of 12 a uncle who literally became my father. In the sense that he took me into his home. His son, his own born son, was a year younger than I. But... He brought me into his family and he gave me the place 
of the oldest son. And I didn't really appreciate what that was all about. And it wasn't that he wasn't favoring his own son, but he respected me and my age and raised me that way. So years later, when we were in our mid-30s or so, I was visiting my uh, cousin brother, (laughs) and we were sitting in a restaurant, and I said, Neil, I want to apologize to you. He said, for what? And I said, that I took your place in the family as the oldest son. Neil says, oh, no, Ron, I'm glad you came into the family when you did. Dad wanted me to be a pastor. (laughs) And so you had to fulfill that. Well, Neil pastored with a gun in Detroit, Michigan. Murder City as a policeman. So he was God's servant. But God led me to be a missionary and a pastor. And Neil got off the hook (laughs) and um, has actually given his life to the Lord and is a man who I really respect. You have not yet resisted. And so this hard saying in verse 6, he scourges every son whom he receives. What does that mean? Do you know what a scourge is? It's a whip. And, okay, we live in an age right now where corporal punishment is not accepted. It's becoming almost a worldwide position. And so we kind of gone to the way of saying whipping is out of line. Katie and I spanked our kids. After we spanked them, we looked at them, held them in our arms, and said, we love you. We love you so much. We don't want you to go the wrong way. Now, we didn't tie them up like what the Romans did and whip them. No, no, no. But the Bible instructs us that we should discipline our children. And a good way to do that is with a switch or something like that. Not your hand. Am I into some things that are making you feel uncomfortable? I'm glad that I am. It's something for you to think about. What does the Bible mean about that? And he wants us to be able to bring our children up with discipline. Discipline is hurtful. And we don't believe, Katie and I don't believe, in telling a child who is misbehaving and saying, okay, go stand in the corner until we say you're done. We did not use that as a method of discipline. Why? Because we believe that sending a child to their room 
making them stand in the corner for five or ten minutes is not true punishment. It is ultimate punishment. Do you know what I mean by that? What is hell like? What is hell? It is total isolation. And so doing that to a child says, we don't want you. But spanking them in a loving, firm way, hugging them after they felt the hurt, looking in their eyes and saying, I love you. And they most often said, I love you too, but it hurts. That's okay. It won't in just a few minutes. That's why God gave us good uh, padding here. (laughs) It's for spanking. Not on the head, not on the face, not on the hand, but the appropriate place. And you don't do that with a grown child. You shouldn't ever have to do that if you've raised them properly. Okay, that's just a little bit of a lesson. And that's only the first point. God deals with us as sons. Are we sons or are we illegitimate? It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I mean, that's just in a father's heart, in a mother's heart, to discipline child, right? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, in other words, what I just said, most parents, they want to discipline their child so that they'll grow to be a good adult. Then if you're without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons and daughters. Think of that. God disciplines his children. That we may share his holiness. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But... God, our Father, disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. That's the purpose of discipline. And if you are going through a tough time right now when the Spirit of God is speaking to you and is saying, walk in this way, and you feel his displeasure, you sense he is speaking to you, and then somehow or other, It gets hard and you realize this is not right. I am not in good relationship with the Father. And he wants to bring you back to himself so that we may share his holiness. That is his purpose. And then the author of Hebrews says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness that's what we're looking for that's what we desire to see in our lives isn't it 
to have a peaceful fruit of righteousness. And this last verse here, Isaiah 32, 17. It is an incredible prophecy. It is an incredible book. And it is talking about Israel and their waywardness and God bringing his punishment upon them. And he is saying to them, you are my children. You're going wayward. You're burning your children in the fire of Moloch. You're going away from me, the one who loves you. And even in the midst of Isaiah, he's talking about a child shall be born. He's talking about a son that is given. And he's offering his own son, Jesus Christ, for us as an example. And he prophesies forward to the reality of Jesus Christ coming. In the midst of the waywardness of Israel, Isaiah over and over again comes up with phrases like this. The work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. That's right in the middle of a very hard prophecy. We've talked about this before. One of the ways in which we come to real peace and and walking with the Lord through a hard time is through a double yoke. I'm not talking about an egg yoke. I'm talking about a yoke that I've spoken about before where a farmer needs double power to plow his field. And so he takes two animals and hooks them together with a yoke so that they can pull. Now, one of the ways that they trained a younger ox was to put it with a mature ox. And if you can imagine this uh, one that's kind of looking over at us saying, what have I gotten myself into? I just want that green grass that's over there on the other side. And the wise ox toward us here is saying, when is this kid going to get into the act here? And so the wiser, more mature ox kind of just pulls ahead. And this younger one is, oh, I hate this. I hate this. But he's coming in under discipline. And he's learning to walk and to work. He's learning how to come together as an effective team. You know who talks about this? In the Bible, Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You've been struggling and fighting against being a Christian and just not doing a good job of being a Christian. Come to me and I will give you rest. And Jesus doesn't explain this at all. So that's why he's asked me to explain it for you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And it's get in the yoke with Jesus and walk, work, live your life with the knowledge 
that you are hitched to Jesus and you learn from him to walk through your day, through your Christian life. He says, For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That is Jesus' word for you. Praise the Lord.